Good morning. So uh, we are in our final sermon of this Pure and Simple series. Uh, and if you haven't been here, that's okay. I promise I don't take it personally. That's not actually true. That was a lie. I take it personally. Three weeks ago, we talked about the idea that, that pure and simple devotion should mark the life of every Christian. Not just super Christians. Because I think today we would kind of describe a devoted Christian as like kind of somebody who's a little extra. But it should mark the life of every Christian. And then two weeks ago, we talked about how the evidence of pure and simple devotion is in obedience. Like when, even when we don't completely grasp what God is up to, we still obey because we're devoted to God. And then last week, we talked about the fact that our, our devotion to God is expressed in worship. And uh, you'd think that's it, but there's still one piece of uh, the puzzle that we kind of have to put together as we talk about devotion and what it is and really like making sure that Christ is at the very center of our lives. I have a relative who shall remain nameless because they may or may not be in this room. And they will text me occasionally. And this is just a PSA, I suppose, for a lot of people. When, uh, when you text and you use all capital letters, the person reading the text feels like you're yelling at them. Now, you may have someone you know that sends everything in all caps, and I certainly do, and I've got a, a screenshot up, up here. Um, and it's, it's always nice things. It's always good things. It's never mean things, but it's, if I feel like I'm, that I'm being yelled at. Like, hi, Patrick, I hope you have a nice day. Well, well... You know what, I will, just, just a little aside, they also speak in all caps too when you're just talking to them in public. <laughs> and then you'll text back and you'll say something like, thank you, but why are we yelling this? You know, I'm just excited. All caps, all capital letters just makes it feel like everything's more bold and intense. And, and I think that's kind of a good uh, framework uh, upon which to build the idea we're going to talk about today. Because I think we all understand that we have beliefs, lowercase, unbolded beliefs, and we have beliefs. So there's these two categories of things that matter to us and things we care about. The, the lowercase beliefs are going to be things that we can, uh, we can have some differences of opinion about. It can be like, you know, whether or not Canes or Chick-fil-A is better or whether or not you like shopping at one store or another, flavors of ice cream, whether or not you think Bigfoot's real, your thoughts on the zipper merge, all that kind of stuff. It is all, we can be, we can be all over the place with that and we can still love one another and it's okay and we're not going to throw down and have a big old argument about that sort of thing. And, and there are these lowercase beliefs that fall into the discipleship category as well. There are things that, that we believe in, in, in course of our relationship with God that we know we're not going to have a fight about. You can, have, you can have some beliefs about the afterlife that it's, it's okay. You can have differences of opinion because nobody really knows. You can, you, can, you can decide, I think dogs are in heaven and cats are not, and that's fine. It's like well, however you want to like, let those things play out, it's fine. You don't have to get in arguments about those things. They're just the way that, that we think God is kind of working in the world. And we're not going to have a knockdown, drag out fight. We're not going to split a church. We're not going to go and leave a fellowship because of these lowercase ideas. These are beliefs that we hold loosely. And then we have the all caps beliefs. These are things we get passionate about. These are things that get our blood pumping. So I'll just give you a quick example of something that probably shouldn't be in this category for me, but, but is. I get a little teeny tiny bit frustrated when people cancel plans days in advance 
because they pulled out their phone and read the weather app and there might be a small percentage chance of some unfortunate weather. And then they'll call and they'll say, well, we're not going to be, be able to make it because Apple told me that the weather's going to be bad. That, like, immediately, like, if you want to go, like, circumvent my defenses and my logic brain, that gets me upset just, like, immediately. And I know it's so silly. It's so dumb because, like, why, why, you know, why be like that? But I'll give you an example of this. With youth group events, when we're planning youth group events, sometimes you'll do outdoor things and it kind of depends on the weather. So this has been years ago. We have probably some people in the room who participated in this. Uh, But I had scheduled a youth group picnic at the park for a Saturday. And I had scheduled it well in advance, unlike my usual habits. And I had scheduled this thing on this certain day at this certain place. And I was hoping for great weather. And it turned out like the the prediction was going to be that there's a monsoon approaching. And so people were texting, are you sure? Are we still doing this? And I was full of conviction. And I said, absolutely, we're doing this. We are meeting at the park, rain or shine. Well, it rained a lot. And do you know what I made the kids do? Play volleyball in the rain. Hot dogs in the rain. We were just like, we were going to do this no matter what because my belief in this is, was in the wrong category and I was just forcing it on everybody. Now, I will say this is one of the most memorable youth events that we've ever had. I think it's because three people ended up with pneumonia. But it was very like... We, I remember that. It was so different and so unique because this is like a belief for me. Stop letting the weather dictate. When people wake up on Sunday morning and they peek out their curtains and they see a little flutter of snow and they're thinking, I'm not going to church today. Are you kidding me? That's a big B, all caps, belief. Like, stop letting the weather dictate what you do. Now, some of you are like, well, yeah, but what if the roads are bad? Well, wouldn't you want to meet Jesus because you were trying to get to church? I mean, like, it's a win-win, folks. Some things related to our discipleship should fall into this all caps belief category. There are the essentials, who Jesus is, our salvation being in Christ, the fact that we believe that we have God's word given to us. Like these are all caps beliefs. These are things that are important. These are things that we will, we will cling tightly to. So I think when we think about these all capital beliefs, these important things, these essentials, we've developed a word for it in a religious context. And I think the word that we would use when we have these really important essential beliefs, we would call them, that we would call these things uh, things that are of our conviction or convictions. These are things that like matter to us. These are things like if you were checking out a new church, you would like want to look on the website. Like what, are the, what do they believe? These are things if you were trying to, to, to go to a new church, you would want to talk to their preacher and say, well, what do you believe about these things? Because these are our convictions. These are things that matter to us. These are all capital letter beliefs in this category. Now, the word conviction is just a legal term that we've borrowed because in a court of law, in theory, this is the way it's supposed to work, doesn't always, but in theory, if you present the evidence, the evidence will reveal the truth and it will convict the guilty party. So the truth convicts the person. That's, that's the theory of how this is supposed to work. The word convict comes from the Latin, which means to conquer. And I, I love this because conviction is when we have been conquered by a belief. Conviction is when we have been conquered by a belief. Now, this is good because this, sometimes we hold beliefs or we have beliefs, but some beliefs have us. Now, this is opposed to the idea of justification, you know, when you should believe something, but your behavior doesn't align with that. 
So justification is when you explain why there's this gap between what you believe and what you do. And so justification is about rationalization. Well, here's why. Here's why, you know, I did X, Y, Z. And even though it's not really in alignment with my beliefs, here's the, you know, here's the explanation for it. Conviction is about repentance. When somebody points out, hey, there's this gap between what you say you believe and your behavior, repentance is what comes out of that. A justification is about arguing, and conviction is about action. So when Scripture uses the word belief, it uses it in this all-capital conquering way. And this is really important, because when I read through the Scriptures, particularly some places in the New Testament, and you read the word belief, and you have the lowercase idea in there, it can kind of throw you for a loop, because you're, you, you feel like it doesn't, it doesn't convey enough. Let, let me give you just a couple examples. This is John chapter 5, verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Do you understand that that word is not a lowercase, uh, uh, italicized belief? That's not a belief that you hold loosely. This is a belief that, that has wrestled you down and pinned you to the mat. This is a belief that has you. This is a conviction that has told you where to go and what to do and what to think. This is, a, this is an all caps, capital letters, belief. In John chapter 20, verse 8. By the way, a little aside, Bible nerds, uh, most of the Gospels use the word belief maybe a handful of times, a dozen a time, dozen times or so. The book of John, it's like 80 times. John loved this word belief, so it's all over. I just picked out a couple. Uh, finally, the other disciple, this is after the resurrection, and the ladies had come to tell these guys, hey, guess what? Uh, Jesus isn't in the tomb. And so you remember the two guys that had the race to the tomb? You know who those were? Peter, and then the guy wouldn't identify himself. He just called himself the other disciple as he was, as he was writing this down. And he recorded the race to the tomb in the Gospels. And he just let us know that he was the faster of the two. And so finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, remember there was a foot race between Peter and me, I got there first, also went inside. He saw and he believed. As he walked into that tomb, that belief blindside tackled him and pinned him to the ground and his life was completely different. This wasn't like walking in the room and saying, hmm, interesting, all right, I'll have to give this some thought. This was a belief that had conquered him. It had taken him over and it was about to change the trajectory of his life. Some of you have grown up around the Church of Christ. There are, uh, I shouldn't tell you this, but it's a little peek behind the curtain. There are certain Bible verses that make us a little nervous. And you're like, what? what? No, we're people of the book. Nope, there's some ber- certain Bible verses that we avoid a little bit because we're not entirely sure what to do with them or because we feel like other people have misused them to the degree that it's hard to get the clear meaning out of them again. And if you've been around the Church of Christ, uh, most other uh, churches in Christendom, they love this verse, and we don't talk about it a lot. But Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in the Church of Christ, we're like, whoa, 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 somebody needs to editorialize that and throw in baptism in there because that verse does not include baptism. And I don't want to hear that verse at the end of a sermon because if it's not mentioning baptism, it's going to give people the wrong idea. Or go back to Romans chapter 6 because there's where he talks about baptism. We like Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10 makes us a little nervous. But it makes us nervous because we have this anemic idea of what belief is. You have been conquered 
by a truth and it has changed your life. It's powerful. And it's not, it's not just this, well, I think that maybe it's true and I hope everything works out, fingers crossed. No, you have been conquered by conviction. Your lives have been transformed by belief. This is so important to talk about because when we think about what devotion is, we have to understand that devotion means that we have been conquered by these truths. We have been conquered by this conviction. We have been wrestled to the mat. It's the head and the heart. It's all caps. This is what belief is. In fact, the most common description of disciples in the New Testament is believer. They're a believer. They had been conquered by the truth. They were no longer their own person, but they had been transformed by this truth of the resurrected Christ. That is conviction. Well, we need to talk about this just briefly, and I, I think this is important. I think this has caused no end of, of problems in Christians' lives. Misapplied conviction is destructive. Misapplied conviction is destructive. Let me give you an example. I was with my family. It was an afternoon drive. The weather was sunny. The, the, the birds were singing. The clouds had parted. It was a beautiful summer afternoon, and we were enjoying the weather, and we were going to go somewhere. I don't even remember where because this event took over the uh, afternoon. We were in construction traffic. We were in, I was in an unfamiliar place, and I was in the right-hand lane, and I realized that up ahead of me, the cones were encouraging me to merge and all the traffic to merge into one lane, and I thought, uh-oh, I'm going to run out of space. I peeked in the rearview mirror, and I saw that there was this whole line of cars behind me. But ahead of, there was a car right next to me, but then ahead of me, there was an opening. And I thought, I reasoned in my mind, that if I hit the gas a little bit and speed up, I can get in front of this car and I can continue with my journey unabated. The, the car next to me decided that the road that they were in belonged to them. And they saw me and they sped up as well. And I thought, oh no. Do I continue to speed up and go even faster and try to get ahead of them? Or do I concede? And I decided to speed up and see if I could go even faster than them. And then the person next to me decided that they were going to go even faster as well. And I thought, oh no, I'm going to hit these cones. This will be a terrible indoor afternoon. So I slam on the brakes. Now by this time, we had created space behind us between us and the other cars. Because we're in like a fast and furious race down the streets of Minneapolis. And so I hit the brakes and then I got behind this person. Okay, going on about our afternoon. However... The person who was ahead of me decided that I had just personally insulted their honor. That I had evidently called their mother names and their grandmother names. That I had done something so terrible that it required them to pull, as they pulled in front of me, to slam on the brakes and come to a complete stop in traffic. Traffic piling up behind us. And they got out of their car and came up to my window. And nice little Patrick, I'm like, can I help you? You know, like rolling down the window. I have an old car. (laughs) Can I help you? And, I, and they're yelling. Now, this was a, a young female. And I, I got to say, I honestly thought this was more a guy thing to do, to experience road rage. And I'm glad to see we're making strides in equality because <laughs> it was a young female yelling at me, yelling at me for like just every, you know, all the words. And I was telling kids, like, these aren't words that we use. And this is me. This is me in the car, and you can totally imagine it. Because I was, you know, in some sense I was in the wrong. I mean, her reaction was way over the top. But I had been in the wrong, and I was apologizing to her. I was saying, I'm sorry, and this is what I said. I didn't mean to scare you, 
because I thought that maybe I had scared her. And that's what, you know, how sometimes when you get scared, the anger and all that, like, all becomes one ugly thing. And I think my apology threw her just enough that she got back into her car and then she headed off. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, apology. I nailed it, did it. The lane opened back up, got to a double lane again, and I just tried to keep going on about my business, and she pulled in behind me, and she began to follow me. And I began to, you know, wind my way through some neighborhoods with this person following me. My kids are crying in the back seat, you know, like, this is traumatic. This whole thing is going sideways. I finally see a police officer. I pull over, and I stop just to wait for this whole thing to unfold. And the police officer, clearly confused, has no idea what's going on, talks to her, and then comes over to me and says, uh, what, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I think I scared her. I said, I'm sorry. And he's like, no, never mind. Just go ahead and go about your day. And that was it. That was it. This lady had misapplied conviction. And it had caused like this, just this crazy interaction. And I guarantee you, she went out with her friends that night and she was talking about this insane driver that tried to cut her off and almost killed her. I'm sure that's what happened. But it was misapplied conviction. And I want you to think about this because you have all experienced that. You have all gotten inordinately upset or frustrated about something that that shouldn't have been in that all caps belief category. It shouldn't have been there. And it was there. And it got you all wound up. And listen, what a waste of energy. What a waste of passion. What a waste of, like, uh, of what matters. Like, listen, what if you took that conviction and that passion and that energy and even that anger, what if you took that and you took the focus off your personal injustice and you put it on something that mattered? What if this young lady had that sort of conviction about helping people with addiction or mental health issues? Or what if she had that sort of conviction about tutoring at-risk kids or supporting single moms? What a better use of her conviction than road rage. But we've all been there. We've all used our capital B beliefs in situations that did not require it. And you know what? There is nothing but regret on the other side of that. But what if you took that passion, what if you took that excitement and you put it into something that mattered? Misapplied conviction is destructive. So get angry at the, at the things that introduce brokenness and hurt into the world. Get angry at those things. That's wonderful. Be passionate. We see passion in Christ. Uh, when he overturned the tables, he gets angry. His conviction shows, but it's at the right things. Apply it to the right things. Have conviction. Have passion. But we live in a culture where the caps lock is on all the time about the wrong things. The categories are all backwards and people have their lowercase beliefs and their uppercase category. It's just, it's gotten ridiculous. However, wisely lived convictions are transformative. Wisely lived convictions are transformative. Can I brag on one of my children just for a quick second? I heard a note, but I'm not going to listen to you anyway. My uh, seventh grader uh, is part of a, a group of, of friends at her school, and they were in this group chat texting one another. And their, their school has a spirit week, and every day of the spirit week is a designated dress-up-a-certain-way day. So one day you got to dress up as a movie or book character, and one day you got to dress up in certain colors, and it's just this whole thing, whole nine yards. And so they had this plan where they were going to all dress up, and it was like a group costume. All, they needed all eight of them to dress up in this costume. Well, my daughter, Avery, seventh grader, had gotten wind that the last time they had done something like that, some of the other kids in her class had felt left out. And so she no longer felt comfortable participating in that because she didn't want to exclude anybody. And so she's having this 
this conversation with our friends via text. And there she's in the living room and she's kind of giving us this play-by-play and they're all excited about the plans and she has to respond and say, hey, I don't want to do anything that makes anybody feel left out. And so they used every classic peer pressure line in the book. It's like they were on their phones Googling how to manipulate people because they were throwing everything at her and it was like, hey, Avery, if you don't do this then we're all going to look bad and you need to participate. And Avery was just sitting on the couch texting back like a ninja just knocking down every argument and I was so proud like as a as a dad you know as a preacher I write a lot of stuff down and right right at that moment I was writing down oh big moment for Avery she's so awesome and here's why it was so awesome because she had taken this pressure and I will be honest if I had been the one in that situation even as an adult man I would have totally caved I would have been like well I guess I'm in the group costume because I don't know how to say no and I loved the fact that Avery had the ability to stand up for her conviction. I love that. That is admirable and transformative. We, that is being conquered by belief. We love it. When we see this in Scripture, we love it. In fact, some, most people's favorite lines in Scripture have to do with these like conviction, uh, bold, conquering statements. For example, a very popular one in a lot of people's houses is Joshua chapter 24, Joshua 24, 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? When, when you feel it, you feel it. That's a good one. As, you can go serve whoever you want. But as for me and my house, that's a bold statement. That's being conquered by belief. In 1 Samuel 14, there's this wonderful story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they're just sitting around doing nothing. And, and God's enemies have you know, surrounded them. And it's just this awful situation. And Jonathan finally says, you know what? Let's go attack the enemies. Just you and me, buddy. Because, hey, if God's going to do what he's going to do, whether many or by few. So he says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Whether by many, like the whole army, or whether it's just you and me, buddy. And that's such a good line. God is, it's God that gets the credit. My personal favorite in the Old Testament is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they're facing the fiery furnace, you must bow. You must bow to this image. And you can just imagine this scenario in which this whole crowd full of people and everybody gets on their knees or gets on their faces. But there's these three guys who are just standing there, just the three of them. And somebody spots them in the distance and runs up and tells Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, get them down on their knees because if they're not down on their knees, they're going in the furnace. And they run back over. And this is what these guys say. And I love this. He says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve can deliver us from it. And he will deliver us. And then one of them has a second thought and thinks, but even if he does not, and this is my favorite part, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What would we do in those situations? What would we do if we're on the other end of that texting conversation with a bunch of seventh graders? What would we do if we had been commanded to bow down to this idol? These are scenarios we don't find ourselves in, so it's easy to feel like, oh, that's so awesome. I'm going to cross-stitch that on a pillow or paint it on a canvas and put it on my wall. But what are our situations where we're being asked to compromise our capital B beliefs and we've got a decision to make? Do we stand or do we bow? Do we fight or do we retreat? What is in this all caps belief category for us? Because wisely lived convictions are transformative. What are you convicted about? Where have your beliefs conquered you? 
There's so much we could talk about. I, I, a bunch of stuff ends up on the sermon cutting room floor, and I'm, you, you'll be grateful for it. It makes for slightly shorter sermons. And, and I wanted to go through this whole thing about how in the Old Testament, God is always testing his people. He's always allowing us to go through difficult circumstances. And we think like, God, if you love me, don't make it hard on me. And God says, I love you. That's why I'm testing you, because I need you to see what you're made of. I need you to see it. And it's all through the Old Testament and New Testament, this, this fantastic concept. And I wish we could talk about it, but we just we don't have the time. But I want to wrap up by sharing one story about uh, conviction that I think will hopefully help us walk out of here feeling like I've got beliefs and I want to live them. In uh, 1923, there was a, a football player by the name of Jack Trice. I've got a picture of him. He's the African-American there in this picture. 1923, the first collegiate athlete... Uh, in Iowa State history. He played for the Iowa State Cyclones. And as you can imagine, circumstances in 1923, I, I feel, I hope they were worse than they are now. He was allowed to suit up and he was allowed to stand on the, the sidelines, but for the beginning of the season, he was not allowed to play any of the games. The, the powers that be, the people that supported, there was these political things going on and he couldn't actually play. Uh, when he traveled with the team, uh, he had to stay in a different hotel. He couldn't stay with the rest of the team. His teammates loved him. His coaches loved him. And they rallied around him. And they finally lobbied to allow him to, be, to, to play uh, a game. And so it was October 6th. I wrote the date down, I believe. October 6th, 1923. He got to lace up, put on his pads, and he got to start against the University of Minnesota. This was his first collegiate experience. During the second play of the game, he broke his collarbone. The uh, coaches tried to keep him on the sidelines. They weren't sure what was wrong, but they knew something was wrong. Um, and he, he knew this was maybe a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and he said no. And so he continued to play with a broken collarbone. He had been targeted by Minnesota players the entire game. And, and I wish... I was thinking about this, and I wish this reflected better on Minnesota, but it doesn't. But he had been targeted by Minnesota players because of his race. He had been treated unnecessary roughness every play, every play, every play. When he's down on the ground, they step on him, they push him. Every play, he gets back up, gets back in. The third play of the game, three of the Minnesota players, not third play, sorry, third quarter of the game, three Minnesota players uh, ran into him and then ran over him. And something had happened inside, uh, and his coaches, he had a tough time getting up. His coaches helped carry him off the field, got him on the sidelines, were trying to check him out. And they knew something was wrong. They weren't sure what. And he was trying to get back into the game because he knew this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And his coaches said, no, you cannot. You, ha you have to go to the hospital. And he fought them, and finally they were able to restrain him enough. Uh, and they took him to the hospital, the doctors, 1923. They didn't have the same concussion and all that protocols that we would today uh, they took him to the hospital, and they said, well, you're not, it's not looking super good, but you can travel back home to Iowa. What they didn't know is his lungs had hemorrhaged, and he had internal bleeding, and he, he died two days later after his first football uh, start ever in his life. As they were getting him ready for his funeral, they were looking for funeral clothes and all that. I mean, he had a huge crowd showed up to his funeral at Iowa State. Um, and they were looking through his clothes, and they looked through one of his jackets, you know, everybody dressed nicely back then, and they looked through one of his jackets, and they found a note that he had written to himself before the first play of the game, or the, before his first college game. And, uh, and this, is what, this is what the note said, and I thought I would share it with you, because I, uh, 
think it's, it's meaningful. He goes, my thoughts just before my first real college game of my life, this is what he says, the honor of my race, my family, and myself is at stake. Everyone is expecting me to do big things, and I will. My whole body and soul are to be thrown recklessly about the field. Every time the ball is snapped, I will try to do more than my part. In the room, you may think like, football. And whether or not you agree with this, he felt like it represented more than football, more than just a game. And I think he was right. But that conviction that you see in that note, that conviction is what's moving. Not because he was an amazing football player, we don't know. Not because he scored many touchdowns and not because he was the fastest or greatest or biggest. We don't know. What what was moving about him was the conviction Iowa State, uh, named back in 1975 or so, they were trying to figure out what to name their stadium, the Cyclone Stadium, and they named it Jack Trice Stadium in honor of him because of that conviction. Iowa State actually didn't play uh, Minnesota for over 60 years after that game because they felt like he had been so badly mistreated. It wasn't until 1989 that they played them again in football. Man, I see conviction in that person. I don't know, maybe applied to something different. It could have been even more powerful. But that's powerful to see that, to be conquered by belief, by belief in something. I think that's what we want as humans. That's what we want as disciples, is that our lives matter because we are conquered by belief, by our belief in Christ, by our willingness to live our lives with Christ at the center. That's what conviction is. What beliefs have conquered you? What convictions are shaping you? As a church, we don't want to be a group of people that comes and and has fun singing and maybe even praying together, but then just leaves and just kind of lets our life just not mean anything. What what convictions are so deeply seeded in us that we're going to fight for them, we're going to stand for them, we're going to live for them? What do we have there? That's what I want us to know. That's, that's the type of disciples that I want us to be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful to be in the room, Lord, and I'm grateful for people that are here, no matter what is going on in their lives, Lord, if they felt like, spiritually speaking, they had to crawl here, uh, or that they're still on the fence, and they're not even sure that you exist, Lord, I'm so grateful that we're all in the room together. Uh, Lord, I pray that this would begin the, the, the foundations of, of a life of meaning and purpose and belief and conviction. Lord, I pray that we would so strongly uh, understand that you need to be the center of our lives, that we would just cut everything else that doesn't make you the very uh, heart and soul of who we are. Lord, we pray that you would be the yes that says no in so many areas of our lives. Lord, help us from being distracted and and busy and cluttered and help us be followers of you whose lives are intent on glorifying you and being disciples. We thank you for Christ who left that example and we pray that, that we could begin to get that belief and that conviction deep inside of who we are. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.